Good morning, everyone. If this is your first time here today, let me introduce myself. I'm Greg Brady. I'm the pastor of Hope Church, and I am your guest preacher for today. Um, Phil Bronson, I was supposed to preach today. Something came up uh, kind of later minute, and so it gave me the opportunity to, uh, to come and preach. I want to share with you um, a, a scripture that I often have to preach to myself. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get there, um, I think I heard Mr. Mark Walker mention bomb pops in children's worship today. They're going to be having more fun down there than we are in here. If you, uh, if you brought your Bible, I hope you brought it. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, come and see me after the worship service because I would love to give you a Bible. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 20. So the beginning of the New Testament. Think old school method. If you don't know where math, Matthew is, kind of open your Bible right to the middle and then take that second half and kind of open that up right to the middle. Should get you close to the book of Matthew. And Jesus tells a parable. Actually, I'm going to start this this reading with the very last verse that you'll find in uh, chapter 19 of Matthew. And Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking to his disciples. And he says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And on to chapter 20, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius, a day's wage. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received the same wage, that daily wage of denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious 
because I am generous. And Jesus finished. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let me describe to you a scene that has occurred in various forms or fashions in my household, and maybe you've experienced something similar. Imagine dessert time. might be your favorite time. certainly is my favorite time. And as everyone is gathered around the table, um, you get out the half gallon of bluebell ice cream and some dishes. And so if you're at my house, you get out seven dishes, um, lots of dishes. And you start scooping out the ice cream, couple of scoops in this dish, couple of scoops in this dish, couple of scoops in this one. This this other one seemed a little low, so you have to kind of go back to the container to kind of polish it off a little bit and try to have similar-looking dishes of ice cream. And then you hand them out to the people sitting around the table, and everyone's about to enjoy the ice cream. But first, people start examining their ice cream bowls and then examining the bowls of the people around them. And you're expecting them to, to start getting out like some, some rulers to measure the amount or some, some scales to see is, is this equal? And, and invariably someone says, wait a minute, this isn't fair. I didn't get as much as everyone else. Has that ever happened in your house? Maybe it's not ice cream bowls. Maybe it's cake slices Pie slices, maybe pizza slices. Sizes of hamburger patties. It's not fair. So we have this fairness alarm. And when things don't seem equitable, um, or maybe more specifically, either equitable or slightly leaning in my favor, um, then that fairness alarm goes off. And depending on the flavor of Bluebell ice cream, sometimes that alarm disproportionately just blares and says a grave injustice has been committed at this moment. And in life, we take this fairness alarm with us, maybe taken to college. And imagine two friends taking the same course, but one with the kind of the easygoing professor and the other with that rigid, hard professor. Same course, same three credit hours. And at the end of the semester, the one that just had that hard professor says, I can't believe you got the same credit for that class that I did after that grueling, torturous semester. Sometimes that fairness alarm gets carried into the the, the, the workplace and, you know, same two friends, maybe after college, one one working at that company that has the kind of easygoing uh, culture, work culture, and the other company that just seems to grind its employees and you know, getting paid the same amount. Oh, it's not fair. That fairness alarm can can make its way into neighborhoods. Imagine neighbors who have similar struggles. Until one of those families just just gets gets the big inheritance from the grandparents or the parents or the 
aunt or uncle. Maybe they didn't even know it existed. The big inheritance comes, and suddenly it seems like a lot of their problems goes away, and then the, the problems with the other family remains. Oh, it's not fair. I said this is a, a scripture that I often have to preach to myself. Um, we have we have five kids in our family. I heard a great heard a, heard a great uh, great funny saying the other day about having five kids. One person uh, was asked, uh, "What is it like to have five children?" And that person said, "Well, imagine drowning and someone handing to you five children." And I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. Um, we have five children. And so, so I have different things. I have old things. And I call them my five children things. For example, I used to teach trumpet lessons. And I had this just beaten up trumpet case. A nice trumpet inside. But a beaten up trumpet case. And the handle fell off. And so I had a string tied for a handle, and that's what I would take into junior high and high schools, is beating up trumpet case, and someone would ask, hey, nice, or say, nice case, and i say, that's my five kids case, right? It's my five kids guy. i got five kids, five kids case. We have five kids cars. We have two old, old cars. And uh, driving back from Galveston last night, the battery light goes on, one of the we're in the car on the island, and and uh, uh, this was like ten o'clock, ten p.m. And I was at Walmart, buy a new battery, zip on home. The same battery light goes off. Not the battery. Battery light goes off again, and just trying to make it home as this battery winds down and lights start dimming on our dashboard. And I'm just thinking, God, it's not fair. It's not fair. We didn't quite make it home, by the way. My car is about two and a half miles from here, parked in the parking lot. Uh, listen, is this a good way to interpret whether things are going well in life, this fairness alarm that we seem to carry with us? Um, or is there a better way? If we live by fairness or that fairness alarm, what I would like to suggest this morning is it is, it almost invariably will um, blur the way that we see God and blur the way that we see ourselves. Let me, let me talk about those two things. Uh, how does it blur the, uh, the way that we see God, this, this fairness alarm? So when people read this parable, uh, well, let me make it personal. When I read this parable, uh, it often gives me a rather downer feeling because it violates my sense of fairness, justice. People should receive a just wage based on the amount that they work. And as Jesus tells the story, it's hard to expect the people who have been there the entire day, it's hard for us to expect them to be cheerful. By day's end, the fruits of their full day's labor would have been just aching muscles. Um, maybe sore hands, maybe some blisters on their hands. A headache. 
at the end of the day. And, and all they would have been looking forward to is pay time. So imagine being in their shoes at pay time. You see the workers who arrive just, just an hour before pay time um, at the front of the line. And you see that they get this one coin, the denarius, the, the wage that you agreed to work for for a full days of work. And, yeah, I, I would have been pretty upset initially. But then I might have thought, you know what this, this probably means? means things have changed and we're getting more for our full day's labor. And then imagine the anger when the foreman sticks that one lousy coin in your hand and says, all right, now have a good day. That's just not right. So everything from our perspective of this parable leads us to grumble against the landowner. Why is that? Well, because... If you're like me, it's very easy to identify most often with the workers who have been there the full day. And the landowner seems stingy. One of the the Bible scholars that I've mentioned on a number of occasions uh, is Ken Bailey. Ken Bailey was a theologian, Bible scholar, uh, ancient Middle East expert, And he is a go-to guy when it comes to the parables of Jesus because uh, Jesus is speaking in this ancient Near Eastern context and tells stories in a way that makes certain points. And Jesus is making some very deliberate points in this parable that Ken Bailey helps us to understand. And one of the things that Ken Bailey says is that um, notice the landowner in in the parable. He's, He's very wealthy because he's able to employ lots of workers. He has a foreman. And, and you'll remember that at the end of the day, it's the foreman that actually pays the money to the workers. Well, in Jesus's culture, and, and this is true in our culture as well, never would the wealthy landowner, uh, the, the owner of the vineyard, never would that person be the one that goes out into town and hires the workers. Uh, the the landowner would have sent the foreman. If he is if he owns, if he hires a foreman, the foreman would be the one going into town, or some other servant or employee would be the one going into town to hire the workers. Uh, one, the landowner would have had uh, much more important things to do than that. Two, it would be pretty unpleasant work to do that. Um, it's you, know, you kind of imagine the scene of picking up some. Uh, Day laborers really wanting some work. Uh, Melissa, my wife, tells a story of uh, when her mom and her dad used to own this tree farm. Not a big tree farm, a smaller tree farm, but a a tree farm. And so Melissa, when she was growing up, when all uh, the rest of us in the summer were going to the swimming pool and having bomb pops and fun stuff like that, Melissa was watering trees when she was uh, a child growing up. And it was, it was hard labor. And every once in a while, her dad would go into town to hire some other laborers to come out and help with the tree farm. And he'd drive into town with his truck and go to the, the local place where the kind of the migrant workers would be assembled 
And he'd step out of the truck, hold it, shout out a number four, I need four, I need five, whatever, you know, I need six. So they'd hop in the back of the truck and, you know, there'd be some jostling. Like, oh, I want to, I want to get, you know, hire me, hire me, hire me. Um, and kind of people that really want to work, really needed to earn a wage, crowded together, pushing, competing with one another for your attention to hire them. So a wealthy landowner never would put himself in the position to do that. He would always send someone else like his foreman. Unless. Unless the landowner was a man of such compassion that he had to do something. And that is the focus of the parable. It's about a landowner with such compassion that he went into town over and over again to see if there were still workers there. Because every person needed to work for that that day. Every person needed an opportunity to work and have provision. So just notice the length that the landowner went to. Um, you know, what happens when you get uh, passed over again and again? Maybe you start pushing your way to the, to the, the front of the crowd, trying to get chosen. You get looked over. And after a while, you get beaten up. You get beaten down. And you start to question your value as a person. So imagine at the end of the day, that's just that... that, that that part of the story, the end of the day, the landowner goes out one more time, finds some workers that have not been selected. Why, what are you, why are you still here? Because no one has hired us yet. Now, what if the landowner were to say, oh, you're still here. Here, pull out a 20. Here, go. Go, you know, here's a handout. Well, that's not what you want. That can make you feel as low as you can get, getting this hand out. So what the landowner does is he gives them a job. He employs them, gives them dignity. Come, work for me. And he shows them how valuable they are. Now, I want you to notice one more thing from this parable for the land, or about the landowner. The, for the landowner, this is what is right. So look at, at verse 4. To these to these later on day workers, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Now, when we see the word right, we often view that word through our fairness lenses or through that fairness alarm. And so that, that, that must mean fair. I'll pay you whatever's fair. But, but the landowner does not measure rightness in terms of fairness. God does not measure rightness in terms of fairness. Instead, God determines what is right based on his compassionate heart. Paying the one-hour workers a one-hour wage would not have taken care of their needs For the day and to God, that is not right because of his compassionate heart. 
So viewing life in terms of fairness blurs the way that we see God because we will see him as uncaring. We'll see him like his priorities are off. Why aren't you taking care of me at the moment, God? This thing isn't going exactly how I want it to go. Stuck on the highway, this car, the battery's dying. We expect more. We demand more from God. We miss God's generosity. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse 15? Don't have it on the screen, but you can look in your Bibles. Verse 15, the landowner asks, Are you envious because I am generous? And living life through this by, by bringing along this fairness alarm, that also blurs how we see ourselves. So look at verses 11 and 12. When, when uh, they received it, this is the all-day workers received their denarius, uh, the, the, the coin that they agreed to. They began to grumble against the landowner. These who are hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The temptation in this parable is to believe that we are deserving. We're wired to believe I, I deserve a lot um, because I work hard, I try hard. I, I really give life a good shot, and I, I don't cheat. You know, I, I try, to, try to be kind to others. I, I go to church. Can't, God, can't you see this? I'm working really hard here. I deserve something. And the all-day workers, they were, they were offended. They were offended. Because the late arriving workers were being judged as equal to them. When it was so clear to them that they were more deserving. We deserve more. God, can't you see that? So, how do we become free from comparison? How do we become free from comparing ourselves with others that we may ascribe several statuses? Either, yeah, they're, you know, they, they may be a little gift, more gifted than we are or put on par with us. Or very often, oh, those people, I mean, we seem to be working harder than they are, doing, trying to be better people than they are. All these comparisons that 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 move us to compare situations in life with them and make these fairness statements. How do we become free from comparison? Let me give you two ideas. Uh, one of those ideas may be helpful. The other one will be absolutely necessary. One of those ideas is more superficial. The other goes deep to the heart. One is like the Band-Aid, and the other is like the necessary heart surgery. Now, let's start with uh, probably good, but the Band-Aid. Um, you know, sometimes it's good just to minimize opportunities to compare. It's like avoiding temptation. Avoid the temptation to compare. Uh, and that can be helpful. That can be helpful. It can be superficial, but but it can be helpful. Uh, some time ago, I drastically, 
I drastically reduced the, uh, the time I was spending on Facebook and social media some time ago. Um, because uh, I would, I, you know, you know, social media, you, you see, wow, so-and-so is going on this vacation. Or, wow, so-and-so's getting a car for their high school graduate or whatever. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. And I started calling it, not Facebook, but in your Facebook. You know, like, in your face. And, um, you know, Facebook could be great for you. All this, I know that's like a decade ago stuff. But, you know, your social media could be great for you. I don't know. But for me, it was not good. And so I just like, I'm going to cut it out. I spent a lot less time. So right now my Facebook feed is like, because I don't, I'm not on it. I'm not looking at stuff, not liking stuff. And so my feed has now been reduced to like strange news headlines and ads asking me the question, how do you know when it's time to retire? Stuff like that. That's, that's my, my Facebook feed these days. Um, so you know, sometimes we... we we have to recognize that our eyes are programmed to envy. That's what Jesus suggests in verse 15. Are you envious because I am generous? Well, what is really written, if you have a New American Standard Bible in front of you, maybe the King James Bible, you, you look at verse 15, and what it says is, is your eye envious? Is your eye envious because I am generous? Sometimes it says, is your eye evil? <laughs> Uh, because I am generous. And we have to know that our eyes can be a source of envy. And not indulging in sources uh, that make us envy, that can be a good idea. Um, That is avoiding comparison. And it's like a Band-Aid. It could be good, but it doesn't really go to the heart. So let me talk about the heart problem, or the heart solution. Here's the heart surgery. Um, you have to think about this question. What do, I, what do I really believe about God? What do I think about God? Do I think, do I really think that God is good? Like, God is good all the time. He's really, really good. And do I really believe that God's goodness to me is not measured out to me by my goodness or my skills or how many hours a week I put in. God doesn't measure out his goodness to me because of how well I'm performing in life. But rather, God gives his goodness to me. God, do you believe that God gives his goodness to you? It's because he is good and he's loving and he's generous. Um, so know the point of the parable Jesus' point is not the kingdom of heaven is about getting what you deserve that is not the point the point is the kingdom of heaven is about getting way more than you deserve How so when there is an entire category of people, those who work the entire day long, that seem to be getting what they deserved, and everyone else is getting a better deal. So one more deliberate detail from the story is in verse 8. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and the going on of the first. A deliberate detail that Jesus is making to drive home the point of the parable. You see, the landowner sure could have avoided a lot of trouble if he had told his foreman, why don't you pay those who have been the whole day, there the whole day first. And then pay afterwards, you can pay those who have been there just an hour. That's probably how I would have done it. If I wanted to keep everyone happy, I would have flipped the order of who's getting paid first. And and people would have grown happier and happier with me throughout the, the paying period instead of angrier and angrier with me throughout the paying period. So why does Jesus tell the story this way, where where the late workers are deliberately the one the ones who are paid first, so that everyone <laughs> you know and it's this, so that everyone, 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 everyone there can see the generous acts of God. See, every, every other religion says, okay, you reach up to God. You work hard. You be that fur all-day worker. You, you give it your best effort. That's what every other religion says. You reach up to God. You give life a good effort. Just do your best. Show God that you are working hard at being a good person, being a good worker, being a good family member or community member or good Christian, just, you know, show, just show God how great you are. And he will reward you by giving you what is your due. But you have to reach up to God. Christianity says, no, God has reached down to us. And don't you see, he is our ultimate reward the God who has reached down to us. We get a God who himself feels compassion on us when we are in need. He insists on providing for us. It gives him great pleasure to provide for us. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Where Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you his kingdom. He's pleased to do it. So whatever you're going through today, this week, month, season in life, know that your God sees you, the the owner of the vineyard, the owner of the land, the creator God, he, he sees you. He knows you. And he's coming for you. And he's not going to show up for you with these little pennies for you. But wait, isn't, isn't, the, isn't, isn't the full day's wage what we deserve? You know, yeah, God's going to, you know, the full day mentality. no. You see, when God comes to you, uh, he knows that you're not the full-day worker. <laughs> you're, the, you're the last. <laughs> you're the higher last worker. You see, God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus was that full-day worker. Jesus was the one who earned the, 
the full wage of God's generosity. Jesus was the one who endured the scorching heat of the day. He's the full day worker. And at the end of the day, it was his body that was blistered and bruised and and broken. The good news of Christianity is that not a single one of us receives what we deserve because what we deserve would be condemnation for our sinfulness. But what we've been given is what Jesus deserves, which is that that full the full entry into the goodness of God and God's kingdom, kingdom of heaven. So watch the weight that you assign to the word fair. God doesn't relate to us in terms of fairness. What, what what's a better way to see God? What's a better way to see the disappointments? God how God responds to us to the disappointments in our life. Certainly not the word fair. Much better word. Faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful to you. He sees you at the end of the day, waiting and waiting for someone to reach down. Uh, decades ago, St. Louis University, you've got a St. Louis University alumni here with us today. Say, decades ago. <laughs> wow, St. Louis University. Um, uh, brought in a Jesuit priest uh, named Anthony DeMello to be a guest speaker, and he told the story of two brothers uh, who are called by God to give up all they had and to serve humanity. And the older brother responded to the call very generously, left his family, left his possessions behind. And um, he went off to a distant land where he spent his life in service to the just poor of the poor. And a persecution arose in the country. He was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was tortured. And as the story goes, he was put to death. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You gave a thousand talents worth of service, and I shall now give you a billion, billion talents worth of reward. Enter into the joy of your, of your Lord. Now the younger, the younger boys, uh, the younger brother's response to that call, the same call was less than generous. He never really left his family, never refused to give up all of his possessions. Yeah, he had this kind of cush life. His business prospered, became famous and rich, and occasionally he would give alms to the poor. And as the story goes, when it was his time to die, the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You gave ten talents worth of service, and I shall give you a billion, billion talents worth of reward, enter into the joy of your Lord. And then the older brother was surprised when he heard that his brother was to get the same reward as he. And he was pleased. And then he said, Lord, knowing this as I do, if I were born... And to live my life again, I would still do exactly what I did for you.
That's serving our generous, gracious, loving, faithful God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us so and that you reach down into our lives and you you pull us up. And you're faithful to do that. You're faithful to see when we are in need. Thank you for being a generous God. Forgive us when we complain. Forgive us when we think that you are not being good to us. Thank you that you provide grace and forgiveness and that you treat us as your dear children. Give us hearts of gratitude and hearts that are willing to serve you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.